Good morning. Good morning. Uh, first thing you should know, I'm very loud, so I might not even need this one. <laughs> uh, it is a privilege uh, to be here this morning, uh, to preach the Word of God, to be here in the gathering of the Lord's Day. I, I want to thank a few people during this process. This has been a long time coming. A lot of prayer, a lot of bended knees has come to this moment. I want to thank the, uh, the slaughters for uh, their lovely home and uh, just their lovely nature that they've have blessed me in London and Kent with uh, during this time. Uh, I, they make me incredibly excited, Lord willing, if, they, if uh, the Lord brings London and I here. I want to thank also the search committee. Um, uh, that was the first step in knitting my heart to uh, start coming here and start praying towards here. Uh, I, I'm thankful for such honesty and candor and uh, the, the things that we talked about and what the, they're praying for the Lord to work in this church uh, is exactly what has been on my heart. And so I'm, I'm thankful for this moment. Uh, so with that being said, let us open the word of God to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. And I'm going to actually read the 7, uh, just kind of get the context. Hear the word of the Lord say, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's this is the word of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you bless the preaching of your word, that our minds uh, would see Christ, that we would have a mind like Christ. You mold us to have hearts to be servants in this church and our community. We pray the word of God would help us submit collectively as one body to build one another up pray your word would do, would transform the way we think about the church and ministry all together and how we treat one another. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I've heard a, uh, a lot of people say over the years uh, in conversations, uh, look, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a part of any church. I, I, my, I worship 
private. I, my relationship with God is personal and private, and I do not need the institutional church in order to have a relationship with God. Have you heard that before? Maybe some of you in this room have even said it before. And what I want to argue this morning is, uh, while it may be possible that you could be a Christian while saying that, the Bible would say it's not very likely. Why do I say that? Because when we look at the New Testament, what we see time and time again is that God, when He redeems someone and saves someone, He doesn't leave them in isolation. He brings them into the body of Christ. We are all a part of one body. And so, yes, God does deal with you and us as individuals. Uh, no one can come to the kingdom of God except for yourself. Only God deals with you as an individual, but we cannot confuse that with individualism. Uh, I think we even tend to listen to sermons as individuals. And that's not necessarily sinful or bad, but when we're looking at this letter to Ephesians, uh, what we need to realize is that the New Testament letters were written to churches, to groups of believers. And so what would happen is they'd receive this letter, Ephesians, from Paul, and the congregation would hear it out loud together. The congregation would listen to it as a congregation, not primarily as an individual. Now, there are implications and, and things for us to take as individuals in this letter. But what we need to do is have an ear towards us, not I. We, so what, what I'm hoping for, and what I'm praying for this morning, is that God would train us to do that. Because I don't think we do that naturally. I don't think that's our tendency. Paul is going to emphasize this morning that the purposes of God is, to, is accomplished by the unity of the church, the body of Christ, the purposes of God is accomplished by the unity of the church. So that being said, let's, let's go uh, into Ephesians 1 to 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Verse 1 in Ephesians 4 is really a transition verse. It's a, uh, in, in chapters 1 through 3, Paul's really explaining and unraveling the mystery that God has taught him about the gospel. Everyone say gospel. The gospel means good news. Everyone say good news. What is this good news? It's that God saves man from his sin, from the corruption of sin, and the wages of sin, death, 
by sending his son to take the punishment of our sin by dying on the cross. And he demonstrated how great this good news is by being raised from the dead three days later. And that those who trust in the work and person of Christ will be a mirror of Christ when they too shall be resurrected. New life, eternal life, and joy with God. So this, this word gospel uh, it comes from uh, an ancient uh, world where the, a messenger would have a, mes a message from the king and he would go to the city square and he would announce uh, normally a, a, a pronouncement of victory for their nation. And so uh, what we have here is the messenger of the king giving you the best news that you will ever hear in your life. Folks, you will hear better sermons from better men, but you will hear no better news than what you just heard this morning. So Paul lays out this gospel in the first three chapters of Ephesians, and he talks about them being adopted. He talks about God lavishing his mercy on them before the foundation of the world to the praise of his glorious grace. And when we get here in chapter 4, he begins to transition. He begins to teach the church, okay, in light of you having been saved like this, Here's how you are to live. The, the main focus of our text this morning is Paul's command for us to live worthy of the gospel. Uh, and so verse 3 kind of helps us clarify what that means, um, what he's emphasizing here. Verse 3 says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So in order to live worthy of the calling, you must live in unity with the church of Jesus Christ. How should we live out that unity? By being humble and patient. Uh, that's Paul's basic answer for this entire morning. Because of the gospel, we should keep unity by patience and humility. Uh, the Christian should know that your calling should affect your life. So, so let's unpack that more. Let's go to verse 1. So in Ephesians 1 he says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. Paul's in jail right now. When he's writing this letter, He's literally a prisoner. This isn't some cute way for him to say, I'm, I'm a servant. He's saying, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. Uh, Paul mentions he's a prisoner, which is the result of his commitment to preach the gospel. Now, now let's just think about that for a second. Uh, think about who Paul is. Paul is a well-respected, well-educated wealthy Jewish man. He did not have to preach the gospel. He, he could have, you know, had inner, uh, inner uh, relational networks and, and tried to do things behind the scenes, but what does Paul do? 
he goes to the city streets and he starts proclaiming the gospel. He could have avoided jail time. Um, anyone else that had the career that Paul had as a business move, even as a social move, uh, the, there's no reasoning by, uh, that anyone could think of for him to do this risky of a move except for what God had called him to do. He, if he was going to live up to the calling that God had for him, he would have to be a prisoner for the gospel. And then he turns to these young Christians in Ephesus, and he says, live a life worthy. So what we do shows who we are. So the rest of the letter to Ephesus is what it means to live a life worthy. Chapters 4 through 6. And, and remember, this is a tremendous calling. Believers are forgiven of sins. Life adopted. We are knitted together into the fabric of the bride of Christ. We are now family of God. God has planned this before the foundation of the world. And he's knitted this into the universe. And this very God has purposed you to be a part of it. So Paul, what's happening here is Paul's going inside the church. And he's saying, this is what it should look like in here. The gospel isn't just the good news, it produces a people. If we don't think seriously about what this is and why we, we do and how we should live, um, then we're going to be an unhealthy church or an unhealthy member. Uh, for instance, you know, uh, some people really like the community of the church. You don't have to be a Christian to like community. Everyone likes community. Uh, they like the interpersonal relationships, the networking. Town gossips love the church. <laughs> we, uh, but they don't put any effort into studying what the church is or why we're this particular community and why we do what we do in this church. They, they really dislike theology altogether. There's a lot of, there, I've heard it time and time again, like, why do we have to study doctrine or theology? And then on the other side, we have the people that love theology, but they're kind of skittish towards making commitments uh, and being involved with the church, uh, being involved with flawed, sinful people. It's really messy sometimes, isn't it? They have no interest in making commitments. And so what, what, what and you know, it's all fun and games. I'll, I'll, I'll debate theology on Facebook, but when you're asking me to make committed actions to show fruit of my belief in being a part of the body, I don't want any part of it. So Paul's going to unravel that. For us, we should think of what this community here is and why we're committed to doing it. 
So let, let's keep reading. We're going from the wise to the house. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, urge. This is, this is a strong word. This isn't just encouragement for, you know, your own preferences. Paul's not a stoic. He's, he's not giving you options here. Uh, God is passionate about this. He's pleading with you. Give your life to Christ. Be entered in, he's talking, this urging is to believers, those of us who have committed to Christ, entered through the narrow gate, we've turned our back to the world, we've burned our bridges, our allegiance and loyalty is to Jesus Christ. What Paul's doing here is he's putting his arms around the first three chapters, the riches of God's mercy. Consider how your life has changed because of Christ. Redeemed you. New life. I beseech you. Live in this way. In, in the first three chapters, if, if this does not motivate you, if, if, if the gospel does not ignite you, if, if this doesn't light your wood, then your wood's wet. Are you motivated by the gospel to live in the way God wants you to. He is calling us to live in a particular way. Let's go back to the text. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Live in the manner. The word live here means to walk. Christian, we are walkers. We are to follow who? Jesus. We're following. We're on a journey. This is not our home. We are pilgrims, soldiers. That's why John Bunyan titles his book, Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, you know, this life that you're on is a pilgrim life. Pilgrims' lives are active lives. If, if, if pilgrims uh, stay, they die. <laughs> the, the, you, you can't just think of the first three chapters of the, the indicatives, the doctrines of the gospel in its own little bubble and think, oh, I'm fine. I just have to think about this stuff. The question of the day is, is your life acceptable? to God. This moment, this day, is your life presented to God, totally sold out to Christ. He is your Lord. Those of you that are believers, does our practice match our position? We have one agenda, folks, to live worthy. L let me put it this way. If you please God, it does not matter who you displease. But if you displease God, it does not matter who you please. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This calling is not vocational. He's not, he's not calling you to be a plumber. This calling isn't to be single, or even to the foreign uh, mission field. 
the type of calling that he's talking about here is more fundamental. He's talking about what he's previously talked about, the calling of these men and women to the family of God. He's saying, in light of you being called into the family of faith, live like it. Live in light of that calling. Uh, Paul urges us to lead a life worthy of the calling. The word worthy here, it doesn't mean that we're trying to earn our place into God's favor. It means that we should recognize how much our place in God's favor deserves from us. The focus is not on our worth, but on the worth of our calling. In, in other words, the, the privilege and purpose of our Christian calling is greater than the privilege and honor and purpose of a Supreme Court judge in the United States. You know, the judgeship is a calling from man. Our calling is from God. The judgeship attains status and achievement and uh, a sense of honor. Our status attains divine sonship. And we become beneficiaries of the inheritance of everything that God owns. What does God own, folks? Everything. Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You know, the judgeship, it may last a couple of decades, maybe more. Our calling lasts forever. If the Supreme Court, the honor and the privilege of being a judge, should give that judge the passion to be to fight for justice and honor, how much more should our calling shape our lives? Verse 2 and 3. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So in Ephesians 4.3, the way we lead a life worthy of our calling is to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Verse 2 tells us how to maintain spiritual unity with all humility and gentleness, with patience, forbearing one another in love. So think about this, this unity for a second, because it's the main driving point what Paul's trying to get here. When you go to work, you uh, there may be other Christians that do not go here. But nonetheless, they are brothers and sisters in Christ. There is an eternal bond with you with them. And so you sh they should not be strangers in your heart. Uh, when, when we have sister churches in this area of Mansfield, we should work alongside them for the gospel to advance the kingdom. But unity, the unity that he's talking about here, should especially exist in the local congregation here at FBC Mansfield. People that you see regularly, by the way, you have committed yourself to see. That's what it means to be a member. And that's how these virtues are lived out. In order to live with each other, 
These virtues, gentleness, humility, these are the exact qualities that you should have and promote in this church. This is not like Paul had like 72 random virtues and he was trying to pull out of a hat and he just picked these random two. No. Why do we know that? Because, one, this is Holy Spirit inspiration. But two, doesn't this just make sense? Doesn't this, what does it look like for a church to have unity? These qualities that Paul's saying right here is what fosters that unity. So how should we live in the unity? The first part is humility and gentleness. The, the first stage of loving one another that leads to unity is lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called in humility. Humility can also mean lowliness. And gentleness can also mean meekness. The, the knowledge of our high calling should bring us to lowness. Precisely because we've been granted to know God, the Christian man is a man of lowliness. He regards his knowledge as small because he knows the God who knows all. Uh, he regards his strength as small and lowly because he's seen the, the, the Lord God Almighty. He, he, he regards his righteousness as very small because he's seen the Holy One of Israel. And since Christians are not oriented on ourselves primarily, but on God, he's not puffed up by any little superiority we have with another fellow human. If an ant measures himself to the Empire State Building, he doesn't really compare himself to a fleet. He will not boast over the three. Uh, Christian lowliness makes him feel awkward when receiving praise. It makes a person kind of recoil from the modern counsel of the day of self-assertiveness, self-esteem, and self-confidence. God is the one he esteems. And, and God is the one who will assert himself one day to vindicate the poor in spirit in Matthew 5. And he will make the last first. In the meantime, the man of lowliness is the servant of all. This is the first stage of love that the Holy Spirit wakens us up when we see the holiness of God and we see our need to be gentle and patient towards one another. This word humility, lowliness, in the text, we need to realize that Paul, when he's saying this, it sounds crazy to the audience of the day when they read this letter. Because in that day, for someone to command another person to be humble uh, was an insult. It was, the only person that was supposed to hear this command was to be a slave. And, and then we go to gentleness. Christ-like gentleness is the willingness to forego your own rights for another. Things that you feel entitled to for the benefit of others. Gentleness would be especially important in forming a church, wouldn't you think? 
Picking fights with your own is not uh, the business of a church, or at least one that's going to survive. What does the Bible say? God is slow to anger. I mean, why should we listen to Paul here? I mean, uh, when's the last time you've heard that you should teach your children to be gentle and humble? You know, this goes against the very brain of American thought. Why should we listen? Because this is the very nature of who Jesus Christ is. Let's go to Matthew 11, verse 28. Matthew 11, verse 28. This is a very famous passage that most of you have heard in your lifetime, if you've been in any part of the church. Um, but most people miss this point of what Jesus says. Uh, look, look at uh, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Jesus says... Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Listen here. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When have we seen Christ's lowliness and gentleness more than on the cross, where he chose us over power and splendor. You have shown no humility that comes even close to what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. What, when G, what Jesus tells us in that passage, what animates him most, uh, what is most deeply true of him, when he exposes the innermost part of his being, what we find there is gentle and lowly. I mean, who could ever think of a Savior like that? He says, I am gentle. What that means is Jesus is not trigger-happy. He, he's not easily frustrated. He's not harsh. He's not reactionary. He's the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. And then we get to Jesus saying he's lowly, which is, again, the sense of destitution. It's someone who's thrust downward in life. Paul uses this word, the same word in Romans 12, 16, and he says not to be prideful, but associate with the low, lowly, which means he's referring to the socially unimpressive. These are the kind of people in life when they come into the room, the host of the party kind of like cringes, like, oh, they're here. <laughs> For all of the magnificent glory and the dazzling holiness and the supreme uniqueness, no one in human history has been more approachable than Jesus Christ. That's what it means for Jesus to say that he is lowly. The minimum bar to be enfolded into the embrace of Jesus is simply to embrace him, to open yourself up to him. There's no prerequisites. There's no hoops to jump through. Uh, jump through. Indeed, it's the only thing that works with Jesus. There is no religion that gives such an open invitation than Jesus does in John 6. It says, anyone who comes to me, I will not cast out. 
I love how Dane Ortland says this quote. He says, Christ is able with all meekness and gentleness, with patience and moderation, to bear with the infirmities and sins of his people, even as a nurse or a nursing father bears with the weakness. And this makes me always think of my son. Uh, and Jesus can no more stiff, stiff arm you than I could hurt my son because he's crying. This Jesus' heart is drawn out to you if you come to him. This, this very care, this gentle dealing with all kinds of sinners, it's what's most natural to Jesus. In, in other words, when Jesus, when Jesus deals with us gently... It's what's most fitting for him to do. As we go into pain and anguish and suffering, we're descending ever deeper into the heart of Jesus. So the summon for you this morning is look to Christ. He deals gently with you. Paul's command here is to imitate Christ in Ephesians 4 for the good and health of our church. If you strong arm the church, if, if you bring pride into this church, it cannot be unified. The second stage of love that brings unity is patience and forbearance. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So the second stage of love results from the first. It is called patience, which, is, which means long-suffering. Lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all lowliness, meekness, and patience. We are to be patient. So when I was a kid, um, I always liked to, I was raised by my grandparents, and I always liked to mimic whatever my grandpa was doing. And my grandpa was like a handyman, so he, he was always out and about fixing stuff and tools. And so I would always be kind of right behind him, bugging him, trying to do what he's doing. Uh, and so one night, um, it's around bedtime, my nightlight is not working. And, and so I go to ask my grandpa, hey, grandpa, can you fix my nightlight? And, and he's busy doing something, and he says, I'll, I'll get it uh, when I'm done here. And, you know, I'm uh, my normal impatient self. And so uh, I'm, uh, and I'm tired. It's bedtime. So I'm thinking, I'll just do it myself. And so I, gra I grab a fork. And, and, and you can see where this is kind of going, don't you? And so if anybody has any questions, if you see something odd about me or strange, you can go back to this point in time and that'll answer your question. So sure enough, somehow I used that fork and I broke the, the front part of the nightlight to leave, to leave kind of the electrical parts open for my fork. And I electrocuted myself. <laughs> now, if, if I had been patient for my grandpa to, all he was going to do was change the bulb and it would have been, it would have worked. But no, I had to put stuff in my own hands and think, I cannot wait. But what do we see from God? God has been so patient with us, hasn't he? He has been so patient. So lowliness is the requirement of patience. Prideful people are not patient. 
The more highly you think of yourself, the more quickly you think you should be the one that gets served. How dare you? Who do you think you are to keep me waiting like this? How, how dare you think that you can merge into my lane when I'm driving? If you can't say amen, you want to say out. <laughs> but if you think of yourself as lowly, it won't feel so inappropriate when you're not treated like royalty. If you've seen the majesty of God's holiness, you know that your own smallness and sinfulness, uh, and so you don't presume that you deserve special treatment. And if you've seen God's grace, you know He will give you the strength to wait. And what I've seen time and time again in my own life, in the lives of others, is when you wait upon God in patience, Victory is always around the corner. Doing it God's way is always better than being impatient. The next phrase, bearing it with one another in love. To bear with one another means long suffering. It means willingness to go through a lot. We, we endure when wronged rather than wrong another. You make allowances. You forego anger and vengeance, even when you're provoked. It's the fruit of the Spirit. I, I know it's not the fruit of us. <laughs> I know I can't do this. I need God to help me to be putting up with one another's weaknesses. I love how uh, Matthew Henry's commentary is on this. Uh, he, Matthew Henry uses the word provoke. We are to provoke one another in graces. Not in passions, but in graces. We are to bring out the best in one another. That's how we're supposed to relate to one another. Uh, another word for forbearing is enduring. Just like meekness is the demeanor of lowliness, endurance is the demeanor of patience. Those who are, in, are patient endure. And so I, I'm so glad Paul says this, by the way. Because it frees me from the hip, hypocritical thinking that I or anyone in this church has to be perfect. Uh, you know, perfect people don't need to be endured or forgiven. But we do, often, don't we? Yeah, Paul's not naive here, folks. Uh, you know, he knows that there's probably a few people in Mansfield, I mean, maybe one, I, I, not, not even that, uh, that are grumpy. Or critical, unreliable, finicky. He knows the pastor and I have gaping holes in our process to become more like Jesus. So Paul's counsel here is not how perfect people can live together in unity, but how real imperfect Baptists can maintain the unity of the Spirit, namely by enduring each other in love. Think about how necessary this is, folks. If you would be any involved in any kind to this church, and you should be, if, if, you do not, if you don't think this is important, then that actually might be more of a commentary on you than this church. If you're thinking, I've never really had to provoke these graces of humility and gentleness and 
kindness uh, in my life at this church. Uh, the, these qualities, I, I don't really think, I've never had to perform them. Never, I don't think they're that important. Um, well, again, that might mean that you're not really that involved in the work, the Lord's work in this church. Because as we all know, if you get into the work of the church, it's messy. There are flawed, sinful people in the church. And there's going to be differences of opinion. There's going to be differences in convictions. And, and we have to come to that table in gentleness, humility, forbearing one another. Any church requires the fruit of the Spirit in it. That is how we're to treat one another. Let me put it to you this way really clearly. The way that you treat one another is what creates the community that is here. The way that you treat one another is what creates the community that is here. The way you speak to the person you know or you don't know or that person that's struggling with something in their life or that, so, or that somebody that's something good happened to them. We must bear with one another. By the way, Paul doesn't mean that you get to keep count. You know, like, uh, like to hold a grudge. That's the 17th time that person has done that. And, and you get, and then God releases you to be able to discharge your rage upon them. <laughs> what petty righteousness do you think you have that God's going to allow you to keep that grudge? When God has forgiven you so for so much more. Why hold on to that grudge when you've been given the gift of the presence of such forgiveness and mercy of God? We, sh we should show tenderness. It says forbearance in love. Uh, by the way, that's not, that's, not just extend, that's not just physically our relationships right here. It, is, it extends to our to the internet on Facebook. So uh, what does the scripture say? Uh, from the heart, the mouth speaks. Now types as well. Uh, the, there are passionate believers now uh, that are fighting on both sides of the tensions that we find ourselves in in this country. And we should not come to that table in pride. That, oh, I know what's in your heart and it's ugly and it's unholy because I can see inside your mind. I know what motivates you. It's evil. How dare we come to the table like that? We should, that's the opposite of what Paul's saying here. We should come to the table, the conversations, in humility and gentleness. Humility and gentleness recognizes we should not approach the conflicts in our country with pride, but that we but we come to the point of that condition, we hold to the word of God. We come in lowliness and humility. Just so we're clear, that probably means that I shouldn't go on Facebook and post a huge rant about every, everyone's stupid except for me, and I'm the only one that can fix this problem. If they would just listen to me, they'd figure it out. That's not, that's not gentleness and lowliness. I don't write the mail, I just deliver it. Now, I understand there is a desire to label and categorize people in their position. It helps us file away them in our mental 
folders that, you know, this person, I can, once I stick a label on a person, I can easily say he or she is an ally. Or I can say that person's canceled. He's, a, he's an enemy and be done with it. I get it. But people are complex beings. That's how God made it. Uh, most people are bigger than the mental folders we place them in. Uh, it's possible in this conflict that there are two or two thousand things that are simultaneously true at the same time. And Jesus does not fit into our common modern polarization of black and white categories. And if you think he does, then you might not know the Jesus of Scripture. You might have just made up in your head that thinks exactly as you do. If, if we're faithful to the Bible, then there should be times that everybody's toes are stomped on. Not just theirs. And by the way, this doesn't mean that when we forbear that this is some all approval of their sin. As demonstrated in the gospel, it is a you approval despite your sin. But this won't work, folks, if we don't love each other. This is not going to work. Paul talks about a love a lot to these letters to these churches, by the way. A lot. Have you ever, have you ever grabbed the directory in this church and just started praying for each name on the list? Are you praying for this church? Are you praying for one another? Out and, and, and more than just someone sick, which we should do that too. Are you doing The difference between doing righteousness and role-playing righteousness is more than just a degree. They're total opposites. Here, here's the point. If we love Jesus, but we don't love people, Jesus doesn't feel loved. You know, no church ever gravitates naturally towards unity. We have to contend for this. Look, look, at, look at verse 3. As we, uh, This is our final verse. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, that word eager means to make every effort. You have to work at this, folks. Uh, no church, this, this is not going to work. Our, our tendency is to go towards selfishness rather than unity, hypocrisy, rather than gentleness. There are, there are versions of Christianity that teach that we, we, we should just be passive and it's just going to happen naturally. That, but what do we see in the New Testament? There's a lot of verbs telling you that you have stuff to do. And nowhere does that mean, by the way, that you're not relying on God or you're working for your salvation. No. I want to challenge you this morning that the unity that we need has to be worked at. Uh, it's, it's, it's not unholy to think of yourself as an active participant rather than a passive one. God has a wonderful plan, and we are to be actively engaged in that plan. We live out visibly for the world to see the evidence that the church is working and to encourage our one another, our brothers and sisters. There, there's so much to this, folks. There's so much to Jesus. He's not a dead end. 
Only one life that shall soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ shall last. And when I am dying, how glad I shall be when the light of my life has been burned out for thee. Uh, I love Cyprian, uh, an early church father. He says, no one can have God as his father without having the church as its mother. The church is vital to what God is doing. And, and, and this time we should recognize that. Hasn't it been so difficult during this time of pandemic where we haven't been able to regularly gather? It's been a minute, hasn't it, folks? And, and if you're being honest like me, I have found it harder to read the scriptures, to deny our sins, to love our neighbor, to pray, to trust in God. So what we should see really clearly when we get back together more regularly is God is doing more in the Lord's day in this service than just hearing a sermon. Um, God might have you here just to have one conversation with someone that is uh, needing encouragement. God needs you here, folks. And I know there's people that are on the uh, that are online that are not here for safe and reasonable reasons. Um, but when we finally do get together, recognize your need here. We need every part of the body. There, we, and we can renew that commitment today. We, uh, so today, come give yourself to Christ. Half-hearted Christians are the most miserable people of all. They know enough of God to feel guilty but they don't, they don't have enough of Christ to be happy. Be all out for it. I, I don't care if you're a ditch digger. If you love the Lord with all your heart, you will be happy. And the Lord's work will be done. Then, so as we close this service this morning, the, the invitation is going to be simple. We're going to have... Uh, we're going to have Brother Philip uh, come up, and we're going to simply ask you to raise your hand uh, if you want to talk to Philip or I. And I, I just want to ask you one thing as we close, as we invite How is your soul this morning? For what are you living? What consumes? What preoccupies your thoughts? What, uh, what, what obsesses? What dominates your dreams, your aspirations in life? Better for you to die today, now, radically committed to Christ than wasted any other way. Let's go to the Lord prayer. Father, help us see how grand you are. Help our hearts be open to your invitation this morning to, to have no future in us but cling to the cross, cling to you. Help us see your workings in this church, that you would help us be humble and lowly. We'd not look at ourselves as anything high, but we look towards you as supreme above all. 
transform our lives and our, our minds to be more like Christ, who gave himself up to be like a servant that did not count equality with you, but submitted himself to, to obedience, to die on the cross. Help us have like a mind like Christ. Help us submit to you. Help us, help us when we're in the fits of anger, Lord, in our homes, in our family and friends, and in our work. Look towards you and your example that we may also be gentle and lowly. We ask all these things in the supreme name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to ask if you would, if, if everybody would just bow their head for one moment. The first question I have is just one of conviction. How many of you were convicted by the words that you just read in the scripture and, that the, and of the words that Daniel just preached? With everybody's heads down, except for me and Daniel, if you would raise your hand if you were convicted by that word. My next question is this. Is there anyone in here, and Daniel and I are the only ones looking around, who would like for us to contact you this week to talk more about something that was said in the message? If that is the case, would you please raise your hand? Okay, thank you. If there's anybody watching, you guys can lift up your heads. If there's anybody watching here online, and you desire to talk to us, please just reach out to us. You can find our information on our website at mansfieldfbc.com or you're watching this on Facebook or YouTube or somewhere like that. So you can reach out to us in those places also and we will get back in contact with you. Before we dismiss, I'm gonna ask Daniel and London if you would both come up here and since you'll be close to me, I'll put my mask back on for you.
All right, so we're, what I'm going to do is they're, they're not going to stick around for the business meeting. It'd be awkward if we were both <laughs> talking about them while they're here. And so they're, they're going to go with Rose and the kids to the house to eat some lunch. Um, but what, what we want to do is uh, just before we leave, we're going to take a short break. And many of you have had the opportunity to meet Daniel. But if you'll just stay where you are, if, if, unless you need to leave, if you need to leave, go ahead and feel free to do that. But if you would just stay where you are, and if you want to just say hi to Daniel, just raise your hand up, and he'll be over there shortly. And he's not going to, he's not going to talk long. He's not trying to be rude. He's got to get to the business meeting. And so uh, he's just going to come say hi and stay six feet away and that kind of thing. And so if that's you, just please go ahead and raise your hands. And then we will go into our business meeting right after that, and we'll give you some more instructions then. But we'll take a five-minute break. Uh, for those of you on Facebook, we're gonna we're not gonna put our business meeting on Facebook. We're about to vote and allow for those who are not here to vote also. We will put the business meeting on our website later, so you will be able to see the business meeting on our website. But we're not gonna have it on Facebook. And so, just so you know, please come back later. Uh, it will take a while to upload and all that, but come back and we'll have that on our website. Uh, but as you, for those of you who are here, as you leave, there will be a bucket, and you can give your tithes and offerings. There's, there's a bucket on each side. And then also, uh, for those staying for the business meeting and you want to give your votes, uh, the yellow buckets uh, are going to be not for face pass this week. They're <laughs> going to be for the cards that are on the table, the yes or no cards. Uh, so thank you, guys. Uh, if you want Daniel to stop by your seating place and stay six feet away, just raise your hand. 